Ready? Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good evening, everybody. This is Kelly Belts with Kelly Outdoors, being brought to you from right here in Wichita, Kansas, the heart of America and what I like to refer to as God's country. Um, hunting season, for the most part, is starting to wind down here in the Midwest. We've still got a late goose season going on right now. Uh, upland game, as far as quail and pheasants, is still going on through the end of the month. Um, there's there's still plenty of pheasants around. you just got to do a lot of walking to get them. The weather this week is completely opposite of what it was last week. Uh, last week it was below freezing most of the time. Wind chill factors are below freezing. And this week it was 60, it's been 60 degrees. Yesterday and today, Hunter and I went trout fishing this afternoon, and uh, we were doing it in shirt sleeves, so it was kind of cool. Um, big shout-out to the guys on the refuge. Uh, we do have Charlie Hess on tonight. Uh, Charlie, for those of you that aren't aware of it, is the inventor and what they was oftentimes referred to as the uh, father of the short read goose call. And some of you younger guys might be scratching your head and going, well, what's that all about? Because believe it or not, at one time there was no such thing as a short read goose call. There was a long read, which would be called a resonant cavity goose call. And uh, those are still made by some people today, but by and large the, the industry has turned to the short read goose call uh, because of its versatility and the uh, ability for it to mimic many different sounds that the old-fashioned uh, resonant cavity or long reed goose call couldn't couldn't uh, make. Uh, Charlie has been credited with, with inventing this, uh, and unfortunately with history, other people have been taking the credit for a long time. And so tonight, Charlie's going to come on here in just a few seconds. He's already on the line with us uh, to tell us the story, and please feel free to call in if you have any questions. Uh, the the number to call in here, uh, where are we here? Oh, yeah, 914-803-4025. Now, this show runs live for 30 minutes. However, uh, as many of you know, we never get done with this thing in 30 minutes, so you can download it later or podcast it later to hear the entire show. Uh, another big shout-out to the kids over there in the Persian Gulf, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, that are over there doing God's work. I just want to tell you guys, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate all the feedback I get from you guys. And, uh, you know, my heart's with you. And I've been there, done that, and, uh, you know, keep up the good work, guys. Okay, so without any more uh, fanfare and hoopla, uh, here's Charlie Hess, and we're going to start talking about short read goose calls. Hey, Charlie, thanks for calling in this evening. Well, you're welcome. Um you heard me mention how this all kind of got started with you as far as you being the one that started this. And we briefly talked the other day uh, about how this all came about, and that was a fascinating story that I'd never heard before. Uh, I'd heard pieces and parts of it, and it's like anything else. When you hear stuff second, third, fourth, and fifth hand, it gets a little bit squirreled up. So why don't you just tell everybody how, how the short read goose call came into to being and, and what you had to do with it. Well, I wish I could take credit for being the one that actually is the innovator of it. Really, it was my son, Keith. Uh, back well, years ago, I started hunting with a gentleman named Albert Galloway, and he was blowing a, basically an L-22 oak call. And that's what I got started with, which it was more or less a resonant cavity uh, call. But... <clears throat> A lot of the times it would hang up on you and uh, just really at pain. So I piddled around with them, uh, finally started making some wooden barrels, but I still used the old guts. Uh, made some a little bit bigger that resembled the old guts, but we <clears throat> all along were using a piece of adhesive tape on the tip of the reed to slow the reed down so it, it wouldn't be such a high-pitched. Uh, and help keep the call from sticking. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Keith asked me one time, said, well, make me a call with a three-quarter inch bore barrel and insert. And then I made the gut's basic shape, gave them to him, and he started messing with it. Cut the reed down, cut it down, played with it, and got it to where it sounded just unbelievably like a goose. And he could blow the daggone thing from daylight to dark, I think, and I couldn't hardly get a squeak out of it. But, <laughs> and I told him that uh, if you know, going to pursue that, that we needed to fine-tune it to where just about anybody could blow it. So we experimented with, we tried some with 916 guts, some with 
five-eighths. They made a few more with a three-quarter. Finally decided that the five-eighths was the right diameter where most people could blow it. Keith also, as far as I know, was the first person to ever uh, shave a reed. And some of the reeds that he shaved were extremely thin, but they still worked. And that basically the reason for shaving the reed was due to the angle of the tone board. We had too much angle on them, and it uh, just, well, I didn't have enough air to blow them that way. So mm-hmm. anyway, <clears throat> as time went on, uh, some people that I thought were good friends of mine had been after me to come up with a good uh Oh, goose call that didn't have to have the tape on it. So when after we got this thing lined out, Keith and a friend of ours and myself made a trip to show these calls to these supposed friends. And you know, they were like two kids in the candy store. They'd never seen or heard anything like that before. So Now hold on they, a second. Okay. The, these two friends, I'm not going to mention their name. You already told me who they were. But just for everybody listening out there, they were major players in the call business. Okay, uh, they were they were big name, big time call manufacturers. Okay, well, they weren't too big then. No, well, they they were they were getting there. All right? right. So anyway, and when was this? Year was what? Nineteen. 19- I'm thinking it was probably about February of '85 when when we took the call to them. Okay. All right. So you took the calls up there. You showed them to your allegedly good friends. Right. And then uh, they were supposed to get back with Keith on the monetary consideration for using his idea. Uh Well, this was in February when we went down there, and the next thing we heard about September or October was that these people were getting a mold built. So sure enough, long about the next Early part of next year, uh, here they got a molded call on the market. This happened to be a 5-H diameter bore. The, the width of the groove in the tone board was around 400,000, which is what we used. And But they didn't copy our call. They just came up with that out of the clear blue. Okay, so out so, of the clear blue, yeah. this, these two alleged friends that looked at your call had a separate idea to come up with a call that had the exact same diameter bore with the exact same diameter tone channel as yours. Had a little different angle on the tone board, and they they had to use a lighter reed in the original calls Mm -hmm. because they had so much angle. Okay. All right, so this is all all just fluke of of nature. I mean, just what are the odds of that happening, right? Yeah, we were (laughs) just trusting people. Because I'd known these people for a number of years. In fact, I had, at one time I taught barbering here in Henderson, and one of the particular people was one of my students. And mm-hmm. I'd gone fishing uh, and hunting with him and stayed at his house a night or two when I was in his area. And uh, I just didn't have any idea that they wouldn't do right by my son, so... Anyway, learn from your mistakes. Hopefully, we didn't have enough sense to uh, try to get a patent on or anything. Because, like I said, we were just trusting country boys. So, anyway, that was the birth of the short read call. A lot of them are, I know some people got some that are probably close to 25 years old and Mm -hmm. still blowing about every day. Well, is Keith still involved with the with the call making, or is he still involved with the whole thing, or did he get kind of just bitter I about got the whole deal? Uh, some time ago, he uh, to begin with, I was I had access to the machinery and so forth, where I could turn the barrels and the inserts and work on the guts and turn all that stuff over to him, and he finished them and 
tuned them and sold them. And after a period of time, I, didn't, I wouldn't sell a lot of them, but sold some. And after a period of time, he said, well, Dad, I don't feel right you doing all the work and me getting all the money. I said, well, it's your project. I don't mind helping you. So we uh, went on like that for a while, and then he brought the subject up again and said, I still don't feel right. You know, same reason. You do the work, I get the money. So I said, well, I'll tell you what you do. But then he had two boys. I said, every time you sell a call, you keep half of it, put a fourth, open them a savings account, put a fourth in each one of them's account. Okay, so, yeah, that, so for some reason, that never did get off the ground. So later when I mentioned it, he said, well, won't you just start their account and do it all, and I won't have to worry about any of it. So, hmm. You see, I'll every once in a while, I'll give him some calls, and he'll tune them and sell one once in a while, just because people know that he was the one that came up with it, and they want one that he tuned. Right. And he does a good well, job with them. <clears throat> I know a lot of years have passed. I mean, we're talking 25, 30. Mm-hmm. 25, 30 years almost? Yeah, I'm saying. He, he came up with about 1980, I'd say. Okay. It's almost 30 years. Right. Okay. And has there, have you guys ever confronted those two individuals in the call business? We did. Uh, when they first came out with their call, We they were at a show in Evansville, Indiana, and we went over there, and as soon as we walked up, uh, they sent for reinforcements. They went to get the two individuals and then some other guys that were out with with them, and I guess they thought there was going to be a little physical confrontation, but that didn't happen. I didn't see them pointing and <clears throat> getting violent, although it would have been nice. <laughs> But, well, uh, you know, uh, at, you know when you told me that, it just it, when you told me that story the other day, I just I couldn't believe. You know, I I could believe the audacity of some people to do that, and and yeah. you know these are these are two guys that are that are big in the in the call business, and and everybody knows who they are. I mean, they got two last names that are readily uh, <laughs> recognizable. Yeah. But I'm dying to say their names, and you know what? Uh, freedom of speech thing here in the United States, I could probably say their names right now, and it wouldn't cause me any grief because I got lawyers sitting around just waiting to talk to these two clowns. But <laughs> you know, that was wrong. You know, and too many times, and I've made this statement before in other shows, and I'll say it again: too many times, the little guy uh, does the research and development, and the big guy comes in and steals their idea and claims that it just it just came to them in a dream in the middle of the oh, night. Yeah. And they claim it as their own. And it's ridiculous. It's asinine. And, you know, unfortunately, the trial lawyer types, you know, they put it out of reach for for normal people to get any kind of recourse against these people. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, people think, well, I'll sue these people and they'll do it on contingency. Well, most attorneys, that's that's in the movies. Most attorneys, they don't play the contingency thing. They want <laughs> X number of dollars up front right. and anything over and above, you know. And... uh it's 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 a shame. It's an absolute shame, you know, what's happened to you. Because, I, you know what, you can trace that company's success back to about that time when they were, you know, they, they had some things going on, but they weren't anything big. But you look at them from that point forward, and they owned the market. I mean, it just blossomed from there. And, I oh, mean, yeah. bags of money just started rolling in, you know. Well, the thing it is, like I told you, these people had uh, their, a tube – Turkey call. They want. They've, they've been making by hand. They wanted to get a mold built out of it. Some friends of mine built the mold for them. I had the uh, pantograph work done on the insert so it would show their name and where they were from, and <clears throat> on each call. And then later, they wanted to get a tube goose call made. I made the prototypes for that. All this, you know. Not a nickel ever went in my pocket from any of this. So you were just you were doing a favor for a friend, right? And well, and you expected the same in return from those people. Well, sure. And what they did was 
when you weren't looking, they put a knife between your ribs and Keith's ribs and said, thank you very much, see you later. Yeah, screw you very much. Yeah. yeah. Small human beings. I guess that's okay. That's okay, that's you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can you can say worse than that. I've had people on here that have said far worse than that, <laughs> trust me, you know. Uh, you're you're almost acting like a Baptist preacher on here compared to some of the guys that have been on here. Well, I'll try to be polite. Well, you know, I I understand, you know, where you're at with this. I mean, it's it's it happened a long time ago. Um, but honestly, the mere fact that you remember exactly that it was in February of 1985 and when you found out about it a year later after they had this stuff done, I mean, it's still something that sticks in your craw, and I don't blame you. It, you know. I told you a story about a very well-known call maker out there that snagged an idea from me and claimed that it was a bolt of lightning, dream in the middle of the night kind of thing where, you know, he just came up with it. And I was like, really? That's amazing. After he, you know, saw one of my calls and bought him to see how I put something on. Yeah. You know, I had another call maker, and it, it was a, a big-time guy. You know, he was trying to figure out how I was attaching my bands to my, to my duck calls because I guaranteed them not to come off, you know, and... You know, he bought one trying to figure out how it was I was doing it because there's no pins or anything. And uh, he bought one of my duck calls and cut it all up and then emailed me and said, oh, this is a nice little idea. Why didn't you, you know, patent this? And it's like, I didn't know you could, number one. And number two, it's not worth the money, you know. Yeah. But he bought he bought one of my duck calls with a barrel on it and, or with a barrel and, you know, basically bandsawed the thing up to find out how I kept my bands on. And, <laughs> you know. So be it. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, the the big companies, they don't put any money into research and development. They let the little guys like me, and you're not a little guy. I mean, you're, I mean, good God. I'm I'm like a booger-eating moron compared to you. You've been doing this stuff for, <laughs> since when, 19-what, 60-what? Yeah, I'm just 6'3", 235. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying. That's, that's my claim to being a big guy. Well, I'm just saying, you've been doing this for a long time. Okay, I've been making calls. Officially, uh, I started making calls when I was pretty young, and I ended up cutting my mom's broom handles up and made some pretty snappy crow calls, but I won't claim those. But, um, you know, I've only been doing this a little over five years. You've been doing this since the 60s, right? Yeah, back in the – when I went to work at uh, the place I retired from in 1971, Mm -hmm. and – in the in the seventies was when I started turning some wood, so uh, it evolved from that. Let's say a bit. Well, you make you, you make goose calls, all right, and everybody knows the name. Yeah. You know Hess. Okay. Uh, you also make duck calls. Make Not too many people know calls. that. Okay, I knew that. Yeah. I don't know why I knew that, but I did know that. Um, a lot of them, but some. Yeah, but uh, and you also make and and I have in my possession a Charlie Hess bass lure. Okay, now yeah, don't, you know. Don't spread that around. I don't want people bugging me about him. All right. Okay. All right. It's not really a Charlie Hess bass lure. He just buys them from some guy <laughs> in Korea. Puts his name on them. Hands them out. You know. Oh yeah. Okay. I won't spread it around. Too late. It's already done. Eighty-five thousand people just heard that. and by that time tomorrow there'll be like five times that many people will hear that so anyway um with your goose calls how many how many steps do you have when it comes to making a goose call i mean you you mentioned a number the other night i was just i was flabbergasted how many steps does it take you to uh take the piece of wood from the time you take the piece of wood off the shelf to the time it goes in the box to be sent out how many steps does that that piece of wood and everything that goes into it go the through? Time I figured it up is about around thirty five, thirty five different operations only. That's uh, I don't think I included the, each individual coat of finish that I put on. But then I just take I take my piece of wood that's square, turn it around, and shaping the barrel, uh, cutting it back for the band. Well, excuse me, drilling. Drilling out the barrel and shaping the inside of it, cut, turn it back for the band, fixing the band, turning the band to match the wood, sanding it, cutting the barrel off from the other part, and then start to make the insert, 
have to also turn the way I do it. You have to turn the uh, barrel around and finish the intake in the mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I make the insert. I always put a brass sleeve in the insert. I drill the insert, ream it, uh, insert, glue the brass in, uh, sleeve in it, then turn the insert to shape and sand it, then starts the finishing process. And then the, the guts, I buy the material in a four or five foot length of 6-6 nylon, cut it to length, like for the tone boards, I'll face off one end and put a radius on it, turn it around, face off the other end, drill it to a depth. Then I'd cut away oh, the majority of the stock to get it down to about the right thickness. And then I would cut the, make a final cut on it to get the thickness I want. Then I've got another fixture that I made that I've, put it in to put the angle on it. Then you got basically the same thing with the wedges. You know, cut it off the length, face off both ends, cut it in half, made a fixture to uh, put the angle on the wedges and get them to the proper thickness. Then when you get everything together, then you start putting the finish on it. Put two or three coats of finish on them, Sand them to make sure that the grain's all filled, and go back and start putting more coats on them. Then you get ready to put your your guts in the call and, and tune them. So you know, there's a lot of different steps involved, at least the way yeah. I do it. Well, you know, it just you realize how many guys are sitting out there listening to this right now with a notepad. Writing this down furiously, they're going to listen to this program <laughs> like all the time, trying to get all that. <laughs> you know, I can play it back and you know. Um, now you make your own guts for your goose calls, all right? Ninety-nine point nine percent of the people, me included, uh, we use other people's guts. Okay. Um, yeah, you make yours yours one at a time. They're not molded. And six six zero nylon. For those of you that are listening. That crap is hard, okay? So uh, you're not going to wear those guts out in your lifetime or your kid's lifetime or your grandkid's lifetime or their great-grandkid's lifetime. That stuff is hard. So uh, that's awesome. I mean, most most people, and I'm, and I'm talking about most people, everybody from, uh, well, just everybody, they use, they use molded guts that are made out of fairly... Um, Soft plastic, right? You know, I mean, there's there's no other word for it. I mean, there's there's some technical terms or, or words you can use for it, but when you boil it right down to it, it's it's plastic, okay? Right. Um, and they use fairly soft stuff. Um, <laughs> those guts of yours, they're never going to wear out. I mean, and I don't think they're going to break in. No, I mean, you're never going to see those those deep tone channel, you know, lines in them like you see in some of these guys' guts. I mean, there's. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've machined some of them to resemble broken-in guts, and yeah. some people, some people think they're great. A guy that, uh, oh, his name's Terry Byrne. That uh, goes by Rim Choke on the Refuge. Uh-huh. Uh, he's got some and a call or two of his, and he thinks they're just wonderful. So, that's different. Well, you brought up the name of the Refuge. Pardon me? All right, there. I said you brought up the name of the refuge. Um, they're not a sponsor of this show, but I plug them because you know there's just a ton of, of super nice guys on there. Um, they've been very good to me as far as a call maker. Uh, they've kind of, you know, decided that I was needy and that I was poor and that they needed to spend their money with me and and I'm still poor and I'm putting three kids through school. So you guys if that are listening, continue sending me money. But um, you know. You have some, I mean, some seriously dedicated fans on there, you know. And uh, one guy comes to mind, and he's from California. <laughs> and, uh, you know, his name is Kevin Hampton. Is that right, Hampton? Right. right. Is that right? And, yeah, and I mean, he's he's got 
tons of your calls. And I mean, anytime the name Charlie Hess gets gets brought up, I mean, you can bet I, this guy has like a I don't know a radar or something, you know, <laughs> and, and he knows what's going on with your calls. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of other guys too. And you know, the thing is, and I got to be brutally honest with you here. I've, a friend of mine has one of your calls. It's in persimmon, all right? Uh, persimmon, and it's just weird that you you like persimmon because, you know, I, I thought I was the only guy out there that liked persimmon for duck calls and goose calls. And then I posted that, that comment at one time on the refuge, and you, you pinged back on me and said, I like persimmon too. And I thought, holy crap, I'm in good company. You know, Charlie Hess likes persimmon, you know. Um, it's one of those... It's it's not a glamorous wood. It's not a sexy looking wood. It doesn't sound cool like Cocobolo. I mean, you hear the name Cocobolo, and it could be the doggiest looking wood in the world, but it has a cool name, right? Right. Uh, persimmon, eh, it looks like crap. Sounds like crap. Whatever. But that is some awesome wood. And so when you email me back and you made the comment, persimmon is one of your favorite woods. I knew I was in good company. You know. Um, and, you know, the thing is, you make some of, and I, I'm not kidding, my friend, this call of his, I don't know how old it is, he can't even tell me because he didn't buy it from you directly, he bought it from somebody else, I don't, and he doesn't even remember where. Uh, it's just, it, it, it's a totally cool call. I mean, it's, it's not like something you pick up at a case at a Gander Mountain or Cabela's or whatever. It's a one-of-a-kind call. And that's what I try to tell people. You know, when you're buying a custom-made call, okay, you don't have to worry about walking in to a situation where you're going to find yourself looking at nine other people there at the boat dock getting ready to load up to move out to the blinds or out to the fields or whatever, and everybody's got like the same piece of crap acrylic call on their lanyard. And I'm not bagging on acrylic calls. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just talking about the cookie-cutter calls that everybody seems to make, you know? Right. And, yeah, I mean... There's there's some big names in goose calling out there. I mean, there, you got you got zinc, you got grounds. I mean, you got you got several. But the the fact of the matter is, I mean, you're you're going to find 25 grounds or 35 grounds or 45 grounds or 125 zincs for every Hess call. And oh, yeah. you know, and I know that in in a few years, who's going to whose call is going to be worth more to a collector or to the individual that owns it? I mean, it's just simple math and I mean those guys don't put that kind of time into their calls I mean th those calls are made on a CNC machine or they're made overseas they're molded they're injected uh, they're puked out of a machine they're they're tuned by guys that don't speak English as their native tongue and they're shipped over here and the next thing you know you know you're paying 150 bucks for a stinking goose call that you know <laughs> who cares yeah. it's got it's got no personal intention you know, it's like uh, Bassmaster, you know, Bassmasters, <clears throat> they have a special from time to time. They'll send you a hat if you renew for a certain period of time. Right. Well, hats are made in China or Taiwan or somewhere. I sent them a letter one time. I know how many members they had in those places. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't get an answer. Uh, you're an evil man, Charlie. I know it. I can't help it. Actually, you know what? And the truth of the matter is, there is a crapload of, of fanatic bass fishermen in Japan, not Taiwan. Yeah. Oh but Japan, yeah, you know, and they make some great looking lures too. Oh yeah, and you know what's really amazing is I. Well, I'm not supposed to talk about lures because you don't <laughs> want to get you know bombarded with that kind of crap. But um, I used to make lures, all right, and. One of the things I used to do was watch how these auctions went, and it was just crazy how some of the stuff that we have here that's like sells for nothing goes on eBay for for stupid money. You know, yeah. these, these Japanese guys they go just nuts over certain things. I don't understand it. I don't claim to understand it, and it just makes no sense to me at all. But, uh, yeah, that's a Japanese for you. What can you say? Um, what? I mean. You were telling me about some of your health issues that you had. Uh, you're all better now. You're you're clicking along at 95 to nothing. Uh, what's the future for Hess Goose Calls? I mean, uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Are you going to have a website put up? or? Well, I've been talking to a young man about 
constructing one. I hope hope that pans out. Just a matter of getting some pictures taken and everything lined out to get it done. Right. He, he's got a host figured out, to, or whatever they call it, to, you know, to put the thing on. So just a matter of getting off my butt and getting it done. Well, you know, there's a lot of people, and I, I'll guarantee you the numbers that I'm looking at right now on my screen, there is a lot of people out there that, uh, you, you know, if if you wanted to put a website together, I, I guarantee you there's somebody out there in the audience right now listening that would be more than happy to email you a name of somebody that could do it for a pretty reasonable cost, you know, like next to nothing, yeah. you know, just to get just to get the exposure and the publicity, you know, and yeah, it wouldn't have to be a fancy website. I mean, you know, one of the one of the problems, and you pointed this out to me the other night, uh, one of the problems that I have with my stuff is that I am generous to a fault, right. you know. Um, too much information, too much this, too much that. Uh, giving to this, giving to that. You know, and and you're right, I am. But that's that's a me thing. But anyway, I'm sure that somebody out there in our listening audience could probably put together a website for you, real easy, real fast, real cheap. You know, that uh, would give somebody the opportunity to be able to contact you because I know it's kind of hard if if you don't know. How to get a hold of you? You're screwed. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're like the best kept secret in, in the duck calling and goose calling world. You know, you really truly are. Yeah. And I, got, no, I, I don't want to mention that. bass lures, but you know, I will. Uh, I have got that page on custom calls online. Right. Which has been on there for years. Right. So. Now, do you get a lot of you get a lot of uh, information from that? People contact you through that. A few. But see, nobody knows how to get a hold of you. I mean, on the refuge, which is uh, admittedly the number one uh, listed uh, waterfowling website in the world. Right. You know, constantly I'm always seeing how do I get a hold of Charlie? You know, <laughs> and and you go on the internet and you try type in Charlie Hess, and and it's like oh, you can't find this guy. Nobody knows how to get a hold of you. I mean, I know you're not you're not wanting to jack around and do this thing for a living. Because you're done, you're retired, you're having a good time. Um, but there's guys out there that really want one of your goose calls, and they need to be able to get a hold of you. Yeah. You know? Well, so We can give them my phone number right now. Well, let's do that. Give them your phone number. <laughs> oh, well, and my uh, email address. Let's do well, that, the too. The phone number is 270 <clears throat> And the email address is hessgoosecalls at hotmail dot com. Okay, that is two seven zero eight two six eight seven six six. Right. And the email address is hessgoosecalls at hotmail dot com. Right. Okay. Now that should be pretty easy. Yeah. Peace out. Okay. Do what? Piece of cake. I'm sorry, I had to switch ears there. Well, n- now, w- what's what's in the future for Hess Calls? I'll probably just be keep plugging along, selling a few along, and just trying to make them look as good as I can. Well, you know, when you got guys like Kevin Hampton out there on the West Coast that are buying all the calls you could possibly make in a year. Uh, he don't do all that. <laughs> he, he's a wood nut. <laughs> He's he is like chomping at the bit because I have got a uh, real foot call for him that I'm supposed to send out this week. I don't know what I'm going to do with that thing. I'm not happy with the way it sounds. So it was that one I talked to you about on the phone the other night, made out of babinga. No, it's yeah. just not happening. You, you ever get a goose call like that, where yeah. after everything you've done, you you put it together, it all looks good, sounds good, yada yada yada, and it just isn't quite. Right. Well, I just keep changing the guts around and messing with them until it it is right. Yeah. What What do you finish your calls with? It's a product it's called Ultradeck. It's a urethane. Uh huh. And uh, in fact, I just ordered two gallons of it Monday. So 
should be here probably tomorrow. But I dip the calls. You know, I put get it in a gallon uh, pail, and I try to find jars that are tall and not too big in diameter because the stuff is uh, breaks down and starts to set up on exposure to heat and humidity. Mm-hmm. That's what cures it. And it's, uh, every time you open one of those jars, you lose a little shelf life. And right. Get it maybe 50% if you're lucky on the calls. Well, by the time it drips off, you wind up probably with 20%. But right. It's a good durable finish and... You know, they're coated inside and out. So, uh, just even wood that uh, would be no borderline as far as getting stabilized is concerned. Mm -hmm. By dipping them in this stuff and letting it penetrate the wood, it gives it a a pretty good finish on it. It adds a little weight to them and uh, makes the call that. Uh, if you didn't use any finish on them, it just wouldn't work right. Right. Well, you're using the brass insert on the air insert, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. See, a, a lot of people don't understand how this works. The insert is a part that goes into the barrel that holds the guts, right? And the brass uh, basically is a sleeve inside the insert. Right. Okay. Um I, I do the same thing with mine, except for instead of brass, I'm using basically an acrylic sleeve, you know, to hold the guts. Yeah. Um, so you can use lighter composition wood than than you can for like a lot of calls, like for for duck calls, for example, um, because the strength is not really required to hold the the guts in. You know. Well, it keeps your insert from splitting, though. Exactly. Exactly. And you know. Um, the the brass insert part. Now, who started that? That was done way back, way back. Uh, well, I I copied it from Tim Grounds because he had the mm, I don't remember whether it was the wooden uh, half breed or if it was his long magnum that he had uh, that piece of brass tubing in it with a clarinet cork around it. Mm-hmm. And the reason I picked up on that, well, Tim and I are good friends anyway, but I picked up on that because by dipping these pieces, uh, you wind up with a lot of different diameters when in the inserts. Right. And I scraped that urethane out of the, the sleeve, the brass sleeve. I could have probably reamed gone back and reamed the inserts again, but I, I like the idea of the extra strength and the consistent diameter, so when I made the guts, I can make them more consistent. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a good idea. I thought it I, was, and it's... You know, when I first started doing this, and I'm not I'm not trying to plug myself here because this show's not about me. It's actually no, about you tonight. But, well, no, seriously. I mean, I had no clue as to what I was doing with a lot of this stuff. You know, I knew that when I put the guts up in a sleeve, it was cracking, okay? Um, I didn't know about a gut zert. Um, So I thought, what can I put up in there that's going to hold this? And I actually went down to the hardware store and bought uh, copper plumbing, (laughs) you know, and and cut some of the fittings and some of the tubing to length to, to where it would fit. I took a set of goose guts with me you know, down there to play with those to see if they'd fit in there and whatever. You know, I I literally had no idea. You know, I I know where you're from over in your part of the world in Kentucky. Um, it, it's part of the hub, so to speak, of, of the call-making world in North America. I mean, you've got that part of Kentucky, Illinois, and all, all that area right in there. There's a lot of you guys that, that, you know, there's a heap of you people. But over here in Kansas, we got wheat and tornadoes and munchkins, and that's about it. You know, so I was kind of on my own. Um, but I never could get that to work right. You know, with the, with the copper insert, um, 
but it was it was one of those things that was a learning experience. You know, you, oh, you do yeah. stuff, you try to make it work, and, you know, you learn from it what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, a lot of times I get I, – I can't tell you how many emails I get every week from guys that are wanting to get into call making that oh, seem sure. to think it's going to be, you know, their ticket to big money. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like – a rude awakening. You better – you better just save your money, go down and buy lottery tickets. Yeah, you got a better chance. Don't give up your day job. <laughs> You never did this full time before your retirement, did you? Oh no! And and why? Pardon? Because you go broke. Yeah, that's exactly. The same thing. Yeah. Well, there for a number of years, every time I'd sell a call, I'd put twenty five. Well, I've got four grandkids, and I'd put twenty five percent in each one of their savings accounts. Uh huh. And I did. I don't know exactly how many years I did that, but. Uh, you know, they've got a few bucks put back for future years. Yeah. One of them was 25. He's already gotten all taken care of all he is. He went to college and and spent it on different things. So then we've got one that's 22 that's in the Army. We've got another one that's 18 that's a senior in high school. And we've got a granddaughter that's a 17 that's a senior in high school. That's so great. They, That's great. Know, if they're, what I'd like to see them do really is just put it, you know, like they never had it, and just let it build up towards their retirement. Right. I don't know if that'll happen or not. I mean, but it's not that great of an amount, but it will help them. But finally, got to the point where if I wanted to have any spending money, I had to put the put the money in my pocket. Did you ever, back at 1970-whatever and 1985, ever think that your goose calls and, and the work that you did on these things that would be selling for this much? Would be I mean, what? if somebody would have told you in 1985, Charlie, I want to give you X number of dollars for your goose call, all right, for what they're selling for today. And I, in all honesty, I have a pretty good idea what they sell for, but I've, I've never asked. But, you know, I have a pretty good idea what they sell for. Back in 1985, what you sell a goose call for today would have been pretty close to somebody's weekly salary back then. Mm. Would you believe that it would have been possible? <laughs> okay. Seriously? I think he started out selling for 100 bucks. And I told him to, I said, now just have a easy pay plan. When you get the money in your hand, they get the call in their hand. Right. So, because most of it is just local for a pretty good while. There was quite a few goose hunters in this area. Right. And then they started, people, you know, started hearing about them in different places. And, and then other, other people became call makers and call uh, assemblers and so forth. But. <laughs> There's that phrase I love, call assemblers. But Keith helped uh, Tim Grounds develop his half-breed, too. Mm-hmm. So that's been a good seller for Tim. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. And did Keith ever get any credit for it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Tim acknowledges the fact. I made the, I guess call it the prototype for his Super Mag barrel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this, it's somewhat similar to what I used, and I just made one and sent it to him. And that's, that's, as far as I can remember, that's the basic design that he used on those. You know, the, the, his other calls don't look anything like, like that. Right. But well, I'll tell you, it's 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 an interesting story, you know. Yeah. Um, Keith and Tim became good friends back probably about 86 or 87, and uh wasn't too long after that then that you know, Keith told Tim that he had more of a call than he really realized with his guy's best flute. And then uh-huh. Tim, Tim sent him some of them, and Keith got playing with him. He, cut them off and played with them or whatever, and then he got it 
fairly close, I think, and went over Tim's one weekend, and they, I think, stayed up most of the night tweaking it, and then finally and got it to where it suited both of them. And the half-breed was born with the name at the time. That's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. I've never heard that story before. Keith is uh, really, a, he's a craftsman. He's a, a carpenter by trade, and he, he is... Uh, really picky about his work you know he's a perfectionist mm-hmm. so and he did some work on some, uh, designing some things for goose calls for uh, uh crap what's the opposite <laughs> <laughs> i haven't heard of them the senior moment where are they from <laughs> <laughs> i believe this in illinois okay uh crap illinois Higdon. okay okay <laughs> some, some of their motion ideas that they use uh-huh. is what he came up with. So, well, that's great. Oh, you know, yeah. I tell you, I, I just uh, it has been a complete, total pleasure having you on here tonight. Um, we're gonna have to sign off here in a few seconds. Um, okay, I'm starting to get the sign from the boss over here. Um, anything else you'd like to say before we go out of here? I don't know what it would be. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And it's been a You know, Charlie, it has been an absolute delight. You know, uh, the first contact you had with me was over a wood called persimmon, you know. Right. Uh, and it's just, it, it's been an absolute pleasure, you know. Uh, w- one of the guys that, that I truly enjoy talking to and enjoy being in, in touch with is Joe Jaroski who's one of the old-time call makers, you know, right. in the duck call world. Uh, he's still around, and it's it. he is an absolute joy, you know. Um, and too many times we, we take for granted that we think this person is going to be here, that person is going to be here the next time I have a question, you know. And the cool thing about it is is that tonight's conversation is going to be saved forever. You know, it's in, you know, the world of the Internet, and uh, it's all on digital, and you know, your voice is one of those ones that you know. Once it's gone, and I, I'm not trying to sound morbid here, but once it's gone, it's gone. You know, <laughs> just like me. Yeah. I mean, you know. Um, That's well, I'm you know I'm not, I'm not trying to sound morbid or anything, but you know the fact of the matter is fact. that you know there's there's guys out there that that consider themselves to be something of a call maker when they walk into a freaking room the size of a football stadium and push a button and machines start puking out call barrels and inserts and they're a custom call maker yeah and that's just not right you know um, a lot of these guys too uh, that are they've got their own manufacturing outfits now were on Tim's uh, calling team back years ago. Yeah. And they got, you know, well, Daddy, I wanted to get away from home now and get out here and do it on my own, so to speak. And there was a couple of them that are pretty notable that were on his team. Right. Well, you know, God, there... The, What's that? I said we're not on the air now, are we? Well, yeah, it, it's still streaming, so people can I'll pick up on this later. Okay. You know, that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing about it is, is that people get a hold of some of these call manufacturers, you know, these calls, and they don't know the story behind them, they don't know the history behind them, and that's what makes them valuable, all right? Yeah. Um, even my crappy calls, I know that in 50 years, when I'm dead and in the ground, are going to be worth a hell of a lot more than these things that are like being CNC'd and puked out by the millions every year. They will be. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, same thing with yours. I mean, you you make an awesome call. People absolutely worship you as a a god among goose call makers. I mean, it's just, I'm not kidding. (laughs) I wish I was kidding, but I'm not. I mean, you know... It's crazy. Um, I mean, you got groupies. I mean, that that's something to shoot for, you mm-hmm. know. 
But uh, anyway, Charlie, I really want to tell you, thank you very much for coming on tonight. I appreciate it. I won't tell anybody else about the bass lures because, you know, <laughs> Fargo nice holes won't, won't, won't appreciate them. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, and we got to do this again. All right, can you can you promise that we'll do this again sometime? Yeah, that'd be all right. You'd like that? Suits me. All right, man. All uh, right, I appreciate you coming on. I really do. And uh, I've got to sign off. What's that? Uh, thank you for asking. Well, hey, you know, I, I I thought of all the people I could get on here tonight, you know, and uh, <sighs> Barack Obama was kind of busy with his little hoot nanny in Washington. Guy. And he's not a duck hunter. Well, you know, he was busy posing those pictures on the food stamps. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to get shut down. Okay, no, you're right. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, no, it was good. <laughs> and you're right. Um, wow. Uh, U.S., it's been nice talking to you. This is Kelly. I'm out of here. Uh, no, Charlie, I appreciate you coming on. It, it's been a slice, man. I truly did enjoy it. And I will talk to you later, okay? All right. All right, thank you very much. Good night. Good night. All right, everybody, um, I just want to say thanks for thanks for joining us tonight on what was probably a really enjoyable evening for you. Uh, Charlie Charlie is is really a piece of history, okay? Um he got screwed over by a major call company uh, with his idea. And if you want to know the name of the call company, email me. I'll be more than happy to share that with you. Uh, I won't say it on the air because they probably got lawyers listening to this even as we speak. All right. Thanks again. Uh, good night to everybody out there in the military. I appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, it truly is appreciated. Uh, the Refuge guys, thank you. CCO, thank you. Uh, my brother, uh, Casey at uh, huh, excuse me <coughs> AccuShot.com. Uh, thanks for being a sponsor. Everybody, love you guys. Be good. Bye bye.